It's Off Grid, with me, Void. And me, Dave. We've solved the cryptic crossword so that you don't have to. And we've chosen three words from it to use as springboard topics to talk about. And this time, in case you want to pause us here and go do the puzzle yourself, the crossword in question was Monday's Guardian from April the 10th, 2023, which was set by Vulcan and numbered 29040. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. On the other hand, you can just carry on listening because you don't need to have seen or done the puzzle. We'll have a little quiz later too, for which you and we will be needing general knowledge, who hopefully is armed with a microphone and ready to chip in. I'm here. It's always a pleasure to be here, folks. Yeehaw. Marvellous. Before we dive into our topics, we'll read you out one clue each that we thought was fun in the puzzle. You can try to work them out or not. We'll come back to them later in the podcast to explain how they work. So, General, can you read out your favourite clue for us, please? Yeah, my favourite clue was description of desert, question mark. Wrong. And that's eight letters. And Dave? Mine was at 23 down. It said simply, ignore the captain. That's four letters. What about you? Mine was equally short at two down. Bear away flag. Eight letters. As I say, we'll come back to those and tell you how they actually work and what the mechanics behind them is, if you're interested. But meanwhile, General, what were you interested in in the puzzle? Well, first of all, I want to talk about one that I thought I was interested in until I started to research it. Okay. So one of the entries was the word soundbite, which uh, is, first of all, a nice word. But when I first saw it, it reminded me of a sort of TV ad I saw when I was a kid in the 90s sometime for some product called the Soundbite, which was a toothbrush which would sort of play a song as you brushed your teeth. And it would play a song of the correct length so that you brushed your teeth for the correct right. length of time. Oh, uh, was this like, aimed at kids or adults? Yeah, or kids, I think, because it must have been on a kids show or a kids channel I was watching. But then uh, I went to Google it and uh, absolutely zero record of this thing ever existing. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, it's maybe you just dreamed I, it. I, I, I might have just dreamed it. It might be a false memory. Maybe it was just a niche product that was only advertised in some small market, and that's why there's no record of it online. So I'm not talking about that right now. Okay. <laughs> if any listeners are, are vaguely familiar with the soundbite, uh, a toothbrush which plays a, a song of two or three minutes that you time your toothbrushing with, uh, please do get in contact. Yeah, let us know. And, <laughs> And put me out of my misery there. People seem to think that everything is on the internet. And when you start looking for specific things, you find it often isn't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, I found something which is kind of similar, but it's from much, much more recently. So maybe I've combined something I saw as a kid with something I saw more recently. I don't know. don't want to think about it. <laughs> so the word which I do want to talk about is uh, Ada Cross, which is janitor. Okay. Which... Uh, the crossword didn't identify it as such, but it strikes me as a really American word. I think we didn't call them janitors in my school. Yeah, we used the word caretaker. Yeah. And so it reminds me of like American sitcoms and cartoons that I was wa- I would watch as a kid. And, uh, and Hong like, Kong Fooey. Hong Kong Fooey. Was, oh, he was a janitor, wasn't he? Penry, the mild-mannered janitor. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and like Goodwill Hunting. You know, that kind of thing. But it also reminded me of a news story I saw kind of recently, which is an uh, an American news story 
about are you familiar with cheetos the snack aware of their existence sort of, uh, puff, corn puffed thing not my kind of food but uh <laughs> there's a sort of really successful variety of them called the flaming hot cheeto okay and, yeah uh, i think the sort of interesting that. news story was that this is like an american version of what sits is it that sort of thing i think they're the same sort of thing yeah probably okay. not you know, borderline food, you might call them. <laughs> no. But there was a janitor who uh, who noticed one of the machines wasn't putting any flavor on them. And so he took a bag of the unflavored ones home and uh, he put really spicy sort of spices onto them and said, this is amazing. This is way better than what they actually taste like. And so he brought them back in and brought a bag straight to the CEO and said, listen, try these. What do you think? And the CEO said these are way better than the normal type. And so so is, was this a janitor working in the Cheetos, in Cheetos factory? factory? Okay, right. The Cheetos factory, in which the machine was failing to put any seasoning on, <laughs> so he did it himself, and uh, brought the bag to the CEO and said, "Taste these." And the mm-hmm. CEO said, "We're launching a new flavor immediately, <laughs> called the Flaming Hot Cheeto." And so, you know, suddenly he's famous, this janitor. He's no longer a janitor. He's sort of in marketing. He's in research and development. He's, he's Seasoning writing. consultant. He's <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he wrote books about his experience and he was doing a sort of motivational speaking about how he uh, managed to, to go from janitor to seasoning consultant. And then uh, the <laughs> Cheetos parent company eventually said, listen, it's not true. He didn't, he didn't invent them. Someone else did. <laughs> and oh. So now I don't know who to believe because, does you know, I want to believe the janitor. So I wonder mm. if the parent company is issuing a denial if someone in a legal department has said, uh, wait a minute, <laughs> we'll owe him intellectual property rights or something if we I... admit that he invented them. Yeah, I want to be on the side of the little guy in this dispute, but uh, on the other hand... Yeah, who knows? But they're making a... A couple of years ago, they were making a biopic about him. And I think <laughs> it's a, it's about to come out. But it's, I don't know it, if they had time to sort of reflect the fact that suddenly the parent company are denying this. So this is a whole... There, there could be a sequel in the works, is what I'm saying. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is an awful lot of story from one incident, isn't there? It's like... Or take a packet, go back at Crisp's home and stick some seasoning on him. And he's like, I don't know, you've got a lifetime's career and anecdotes. It's like, yeah. really? Actually, yeah, I don't know how you're going to spin that into 90 minutes as well. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be quite common these days that someone will tweet something and it'll go viral and get lots of reactions. And then someone will buy the rights to the story of the joke or the anecdote <laughs> that was told in the tweet. It's, I mean, you know, good for you if you manage to get some money out of someone. Yeah, so I think I'll, I'll check out the uh, the biopic, which I think is going to be kind of like a you know goodwill hunting for for Cheetos. And I don't know. <laughs> Do maybe you think that would be the strapline? <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe at the end they'll do the thing where they just put up a load of text on the screen and they say afterwards, you know. Yeah. What happened next? Yeah. Yeah. The other day on Twitter, I got advertised as sort of there's a big tea brand that were saying. We're having a contest where you can design our next ad, and uh, the winner will get sort of five hundred euro or something. And I was just—it's so—it's uh, so patronizing to sort of get people to make your ads for free, and then the the winner 
you know, the one person gets picked gets paid sort of way less than than what you should get rates. paid to make an ad. And all yeah. the other people who've entered have spent their time and effort and, and yeah. Pay creators, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Support artists. So for that reason, I think I'm on the Leave us a review! Leave us a review! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'm on the side of the janitor, even if he made the whole thing up, because uh, you like to see the little guy get a win. <laughs> Stick it to the man. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Dave, do you want to tell us how your clue worked? Yeah, it won't take long. These clues were all nice and short. If you remember my choice, just said, ignore the captain. Four letters. I think this was one of the shortest. There was there was a lot that were just two or three words. As very short clues often tend to be, this was simply a double definition. If you ignore, say, an instruction in a list, you might skip it. And the captain of a boat, well, that's... Or maybe even the sports team is the skipper, and that's often shortens to skip as well. Short and sweet. Could even maybe get rid of the the if you wanted to make it a bit shorter. Yeah. yeah. Ignore captain. <laughs> yep. Void, we'll skip straight on to what you found in the grid to talk about. Ba-dum-tsh. Nicely done. I have picked the word mauve from the grid, which was clued as UV, as in ultraviolet light, inside of May, as in May West. Mm-hmm. So it's time for another Connections run. Oh boy. Hold on to your hats. Oh boy. Right, we're going to start with Johann Wilhelm Ritter. Ring any bells? No. Nope. Fair enough. He was a late 18th century, early 19th century German chemist slash physicist, an acquaintance of Alexander von Humboldt, who we've talked Yay. about before. And in around 1800, uh, Ritter had been conducting various experiments involving early voltaic piles, um, applying electric shocks to various parts of his own body, like you do in the name of science, (laughs) curiosity. But uh, skipping forward, skipping. He died young. (laughs) I I wonder how. I don't know if that's related. It wasn't a steely down, was it? No. Oh, dear. In 1801... Anyway, Ritter heard about William Herschel's discovery of heat rays. Did you know what they are? Are they UV rays? Oh, close. They're infrared rays. <laughs> infrared oh, rays. the other side. Uh, the other one. Yeah. So, yeah, Ritter thought, well, if there's infrared rays on the other side of red, hmm. So he went looking for a corresponding cooling ray at the other end of the spectrum. Right. You know, seems a reasonable uh, leap to make. He didn't exactly find that, but he did discover something that quickly turned silver chloride black. And he called these chemical rays, but we know them now as... So those ones might be UV rays. There we go. Yes. Now, silver chloride and other salts of silver are used... uh, Well, do you know what they're used in? Photography? Yeah, photographic material. Yeah, silver nitrate, I think, was the one that uh, was used in early film. And Mm. it's from these compounds that we ultimately get the phrase, the silver screen. Which takes me to Hollywood. (laughs) And you're going towards May West. Back in the golden age of the silver screen, a 1930 star was the aforementioned May West, yes who was very smart and outspoken and funny and often very risque for the time. 
mm. uh, frequently giving censors and some of the more staid critics conniptions at her various outbursts and antics. She made a star of Cary Grant. She gave him his first big part. Archie Leach. The fella, the old Bristolian. Uh, She wrote many plays and screenplays and she became a big movie star and icon and she's still very famous today, of course. But I want to jump straight forward to her final film, which was based on her 1961 play, Sextet. Okay. She began shooting this at the age of 84 in 1978. And some of her co-stars were Timothy Dalton, Tony Curtis, George Raft, and somewhat bizarrely, Alice Cooper and Ringo Starr. (laughs) (laughs) What's the name of this film again? I have to see it. It was called Sextet. Now, from I haven't seen it. From what I read, it didn't turn out to be, you know, an absolute jewel. But even with Ringo Starr, <laughs> even with Ringo Starr, I mean Ringo Starr, of course, with the other Beatles, had put Mae West on the cover of Sergeant Pepper. Apparently, they originally asked her for permission to do this. She turned them down. And then they wrote to her and said, no, really, we think you're great. We're a big star. Please, can we put you on? And she said, yes. On some shit of the Sergeant Pepper, I think I read somewhere that there is only one person featured on that cover who is still with us today. Do you know who that is? Ringo Starr. Oh, apart from, <laughs> apart, sorry, apart from, the, apart from those couple of Beatles themselves, you know, non-Beatles people. Oh, um, no, I don't is know who people are well enough. writer? In a sense. A writer of songs? Yes. <laughs> is Bob Dylan on there? Bob Dylan is on there. Ah, nice. Anyway, sorry, carry back to uh, your... Good fact. Well, I'm going to spin away from Ringo Starr <laughs> and go, because it's a very short step to get to the band called Ringo Death Star. I'm sure of course everyone's yes, very absolutely. familiar with them. Yes who had a 2012 LP entitled Mauve. Did they really? Which is where we came Ah. in. Mauve is also the name of the kind of fake band created by um, Scarfolk, isn't it? Oh, Scarfolk, yes. Yes. I I didn't know that. They've got kind of things about like the Scarfolk Music Festival and and there's this prog rock band called Mauve. (laughs) Yeah, they've got a whole lineup poster of loads of great fake band names. But Have you seen talk- the uh, the Ringo Starr Japanese apple juice ads? <laughs> no, because <laughs> you see the the Japanese for apple, oh, I believe, Ringo. Much, yes, so they is pretty much pronounced good. Ringo. So they all he does is takes a big sip of apple juice and just says Ringo Starr. But <laughs> I think at the oh, you know, and the Beatles record label was called oh, was Apple. 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 <laughs> That's what nicely a, circular. What a marvellous yeah. link that is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, talking of rock and roll, Mae West herself recorded some rock and roll LPs. She did a great cover of Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> and she's also done a cover of The Doors track, Light My Fire, which I haven't heard yet, but I want to. I'm going <laughs> to go seek that, that out. Get it, yeah? get it in the in the show notes by the time this goes out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I will. So I started at the end of May's career 
if we shoot back to the start of her career, in her second Broadway appearance in 1911, she appeared in Vera Violetta. Violetta? Violet? Mauve? Yay. Along with the singer Al Jolson. Jolson later became a huge star in the 20s, mostly remembered now for two things, I would say. His unfortunate choice of using blackface on occasion, Mm -hmm. but perhaps more so for being in a singer in the first talky film, The Jazz Singer, in 1927. Yes. Uh, For songs like Mammy and... uh... So, yeah, yeah, go on. Name another one. Uh, <laughs> I can't. Uh, something about the Swanee, wasn't it? Something about the Swanee River, I think. Oh yeah. And uh, was he was he safely blackface free in this uh, in the jazz singer? Or I've never seen it. Okay. Um, I I think so because it was remade in about 1980 with Neil Diamond about and it was about a um, an immigrant coming to America, and I think it was a, a Jewish immigrant. Uh, and Al Jolson was Jewish. I think it was Lithuanian originally, so mm. a Jewish immigrant. But anyway, mm. he went on to become a star of lots of musical films in the 30s, mm. and he was the first star to entertain the US troops overseas in World War II in a tour of the Pacific. Unfortunately for him, it was on this tour that he caught malaria, and this led to him having a lung removed. He died not very long after, in 1950, shortly after returning from performing for troops in the Korean War. So that didn't work out. D-I-E-D and not D-Y-E-D, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a link I hadn't built of making. (laughs) But presumably, when he had malaria, he would have been treated with quinine. And it was as a teenager in 1856 that the chemist William Perkin was working on trying to synthesise quinine when he stumbled on a method to make an intense purple dye, which he patented and later made his fortune from, and which he called mauve. Wow. Yep. Anyway, that's all the purples I could uh, link together. Let's move on to General, your clue. Can you read it again and explain how it worked, please? Yeah, so the clue was description of desert. Wrong. And it's simply an anagram of of desert, because wrong being the anagram indicator. And the answer is forested, uh, which is not a description of a desert. Mm. I like that. It's neat. It's a satisfying one. It's quite approachable as well. Yeah. Cool. Dave, what would you like to entertain us with from the grid? Well, you know, we've already been mentioning kind of jokey things and the word joke itself was in the grid. So I picked that not solely for the opportunity to possibly tell some. Um, (laughs) I've thought for a long time that a lot of jokes you think are closely related to cryptic crossword clues, aren't they really? There's that by association, the the thing you say that sounds like it's about one subject and then you get to the end and you realise it's about a completely different one and, and the only difference really being that with a joke you need the audience to twig to the reception straight away because you need that instant reaction and with a crossword clue you can kind of let them stew over it a little bit longer. Yeah, we call it the penny drop moment when you, Absolutely. quote, get the joke in the crossword. Yeah. Now, there is a book by 
Jimmy Carr and uh, his friend Lucy Greaves a sort of semi-scholarly tome about jokes called The Naked Jape. And in amongst the kind of 400 or so jokes that are cited in there, there is one that does claim to be a cryptic crossword clue from the Financial Times. Ah. I went away and Googled it. And I, well, a Google search from me found some people online citing the same clue and believing it was from The Guardian, which feels perhaps more likely to me. But either way, I can't find any online citations of this thing, certainly not in 15 Squared or anywhere like that, where you might expect to find it earlier than the publication date of Carl and Greaves' book. So I'm not laying any money on its authenticity. <laughs> okay. The clue is, listen carefully, or a sexual perversion, 5244. I think we'll leave it to the listeners to work that one out. Okay. At any rate, the word joke, I was looking at, it it feels like a really solid, old-fashioned word. I kind of imagined it was going to go right back to the earliest forms of English, but actually it's only been around since the 17th century. Oh. I would guess Latin, but go on. Well, it comes from Latin, but you know, in, in its English form. Um, mm. Their first citation of it is 1670. So although there were plenty of jokes in Shakespeare, there wasn't the word joke. Um, what did he call them? Jest, I would imagine. Jest, you think about a fellow yeah. of infinite jest and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, that goes back to the 1300s. And you think about the phrase like, surely you're joking or you've got to be joking or anything like that. You think about when do you think that came in as a phrase? Hmm. Well, I know Richard Feynman wrote a book called "Surely You're Joking, Mister Feynman." And he that did. Have been, yes. I do. I have it above me somewhere in seventies. Yeah. So do, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a few hundred years old. Surely you're joking. Uh, I'm gonna guess it isn't. I'm gonna guess it's <laughs> 1936. It's 1907, so yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty recent. Yeah, anyway, in terms of in terms of the etymology, yeah, it comes from the Latin jocus, which also fairly obviously gives us jocose and jocund and jocular. Um, But it also the source of jeopardy, rather bizarrely. Oh, okay. As part of a phrase, jeopardy comes from old French je parti. Ultimately, from medieval Latin jocus partitus, literally a split or divided game, mm. which was a way of saying like an even chance on something, so uncertainty, okay, and therefore doubt and therefore jeopardy. It's it kind of one thing gradually leads to the next, and you can see the path, but you wouldn't have imagined it from the start. No. And in the subject of kind of ancient languages in relation to jokes, have you either have you heard of the philogelos? No. Philogelos, so that would be love of words or something like that, literally meaning? The, the lo- um, lover of laughter. Ah. Oh, gel, so G-E-L. Yes. So the because philo I'm, is, 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 yeah, I was going to see where you were thinking about words because it's connecting the log bit in the middle of it. But yeah. Philo yeah. from one side, jello from the other side. Because I know there's a word, agelast. Which means someone, who doesn't, someone who doesn't laugh. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So this is the oldest extant joke book. The manuscripts that still exist for it date from the sort of 11th to 15th century, but the original, 
based on the language used and the subjects referenced, is thought to be 4th century. Okay. It's written in ancient Greek. By this point, Greece was part of the Roman Empire, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the compilers were a couple of chaps called Hierocles, not the Stoic philosopher, another one, and Philagrios. And I kind of like the fact that, you know, from a crossword setter's point of view, if you take the P and the G out of Philagrios, what you're left with is absolutely hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you won't be surprised to learn that over a distance of, what, 1,600 years or so, and probably as many miles, not many of the gags make a lot of sense to our modern Anglophone ears. I can Um, imagine. But one or two strike a bit of a chord of familiarity. We've got something of an ancestor to the parrot sketch, really. Uh, as a complaining customer joke. A man goes to the slave market and accosts the trader. That slave you sold me, he's only gone and died. And the reply comes back, Good God, he never did anything like that when I owned him. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's yeah. good. Uh, that's, that's all I'm right. It works, yeah, doesn't it? It works, it works, yeah. Or there's the barber who asks his customer, how would you like me to cut your hair? And gets the answer, in silence. Which you kind of go, not so funny, but it it ties in very nicely with, I think, the modern kind of idea of the the hairdresser is just kind of chatting away with inconsequential nonsense. Oh, yeah, I think that could do well in a a stand-up set. I I think it's been recycled uh, very recently, actually. Mm. Uh, I I think I've heard that one in an anecdote as someone's witty bon mot. Yeah, well, Noel Coward or somebody. Yeah, so it was someone 1,600 years ago's witty bon mot, yeah. (laughs) You say about recent things, it was brought to my attention the the list of the top jokes from the 2022 Edinburgh Fringe, so the most recent Fringe. Oh, yeah. It was one by Masai Graham. Uh, I tried to steal spaghetti from the shop, but the female guard saw me and I couldn't get past her. Oh, and yeah, it, that was in the top jokes? That was number one. And I, oh, I've got that the is, I, I, I don't know. Is that good? Is that's that an good? absolute shocker. That's, a, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I've seen some good ones come out of that uh, top jokes of the fringe thing they do every year. But yeah. the, the female guard, as soon as you're saying it like that, I think yeah. it's, it's flagging itself, isn't it, in, <laughs> well in advance? Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I, I, I write jokes, but so slowly and infrequently that it take me a decade to gather a routine's worth. So, you know. Well, you have to steal some from this book, because some of them still well, work, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I, I, I went to the shop for Oxo Cubes and Bisto Granules, but they were out of stock. You know, that sort of thing. That's better. Know. That's better than the what? pasta one. Yeah. yeah. Sainsbury's were running a promotion called Swipe and Win. So I swiped a flat screen telly and won an hour in the store detective's office. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. I might just jump in while we're talking about extremely old jokes. Just yes. uh, uh I was reading recently about the a joke they've dug up that's maybe the oldest joke the oldest known joke. Uh, I've just got it here. Oh wow. From four thousand years ago from a Sumerian tablet does it involve a chicken crossing the road it's uh, it, it goes like this so the the setup is very very familiar but uh the punchline on why it's funny has been unfortunately lost to the sands of time okay so it's gonna be about cabbages it or goes, something. <laughs> a, a dog walks into a bar oh and says i cannot see a thing i'll open this one 
Yeah. So, yeah, okay. so the setup is remarkably so, modern. Yeah. And then, so the dog can't see a thing. The dog will open this one. Uh, no one knows what it means, unfortunately. It sounds. It sounds like it's probably a pun. A pun, and yes, the linguistic link has been lost to us, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, someone's going to work it out sometime, though. I, mm, I really yeah. sincerely hope, and it'll be hilarious. Because puns are one of those things that, unless you're very lucky, they work in one language and you can't translate them, isn't it? You know, unless it's... you're Anthea Bell, as we talked about in the Asterix. Uh, well, yes, yeah, episode. yeah. I mean. Did I just say asterisk or asterisk? I don't know what I said. That was your entire point at the time, wasn't it? Well, I mean, both both words were part of of what I was talking about, so I think you can get away with it. Yeah. Um, Yes. No, I was going to say your your choice of clue. I think was something that made me grind my teeth a bit. Would you uh, like to uh, explain it? (laughs) Yes. So to state it again, it was bear away flag, eight letters. Not much to go on there. It turns out that bear was stand, as in I can't bear it, I can't stand it. So that's part of the eight letters, which tells you that flag at the other end of the clue is the definition. So then you're left with three letters, which you need to get from away. And I was a bit confused by this for a moment until I realised that it's one of my favourite devices to use, but which I don't often spot very well when I'm solving other people doing them. And this is a lift and separate. So you have to separate the word away into A and way. And the A is A, so you've now got stander. And the way is a thoroughfare, avenue, street, road it's a road which is abbreviated to rd so stand a rd spells you out standard which is another word for a flag i think usually particularly militarily but mm. uh nice well <laughs> if you like that sort of thing <laughs> i did i think it's quiz time so i've got a few questions for you here based on uh entries in the grid right i, I think i've arranged them in uh Ascending order of difficulty, but we'll see. Okay. So seven across uh, was the word initial. Yeah. So here's my question. Harry S. Truman was the 33rd president of the United States. But what does the S stand for? I I don't think it stands for anything. Secret. <laughs> Secret is kind of close. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, Dave, I think you're, you're on the right track. Well, it stands for S. Well, yeah, yeah. It was the poet Allen Ginsberg who said, things are symbols of themselves. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> There's a similar thing with, uh, if you remember General Schwarzkopf from the First Gulf War? Mm-hmm. He was General H. Norman Schwarzkopf. And similar to your question, it's like, what does the H stand for? And it didn't stand for anything. He was christened H. And there was a reason for that which was that his father, who was also in the army, was, I believe, Herbert Norman Schwarzkopf. And he didn't like his first name, being Herbert. Uh, and he liked to just, yeah, as Americans often do, abbreviate it to his initial. And then he joined the army, and the army insisted, whatever your first name is, that's what we refer to you as. And they called him Herbert, and he hated it. 
And so when you had a child, it's like, I'm going to call you H, and then the army can just lump it, you know? Well, speaking of the army and names, yeah, what was Johnny Cash's name? I presume it wasn't Johnny Cash then. Uh, I don't know. Well it, well, it was the army who made him, I think, John Ray Cash. Uh, right. But before that, he was just J.R. Cash. Ah. And the army made him John. The, the army didn't like him only having initials and not a name, so they gave him one. Or well, two. I'd obviously, obviously softened a little bit by the time H. Norman Schwarzkopf was allowed to be called himself H then. <laughs> the story, which uh, is seemingly there's some doubts over it, that, that Johnny Cash was the first American to hear that uh, Stalin was dead. Yeah. Have you heard that? Because he was a sort of Morse code interpreter. In the yeah. army at the time, yeah, he was yeah. based in in Germany at the time, wasn't he? And yeah, he was a radio and operator. So he was yeah, one, I think that's, that's true. One I of the I've first heard that confirmed. Confirmed? Okay. Usually, well, when I hear people it who have said yes, it is true. Yeah, who, uh, I think I think his daughter says it is true. So I think hmm. I've started when I, when I hear a fact as interesting as that, I just sort of assume it's not true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, someone had to be the first Westerner to find out that it was Stalin. Hmm. So. Why not Johnny Cash? And so Harry S. Truman, just S. S for a head of state. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Okay, so question number two. I won't say uh, which entry it's for because I might spoil it somewhat. Okay. But uh, the question is this. Who is the biggest selling Irish solo artist of all time? Now, this is musician. Oh, okay. Now, I'm cheating by looking at the grid now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, yes, it's Steve Spew. <laughs> I didn't know you were a Spew fan. Um, hmm. That's immediately jumping out at me there. Well, don't, you know, um, don't be looking at the grid. Maybe the connection is more tenuous okay. than you think. But uh, say, say it again. The, so the biggest, the biggest selling... selling Irish solo musical artist of all time. So the biggest selling band of all time is U2. Hmm. But the biggest selling solo artist. And I'll say this is despite... Pretty much never playing a live gig. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, come on, music's your world. Johnny Logan. <laughs> that's a great guess. Two-time well, winner the of the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. Um, okay, Val uh, Dinekin. <laughs> <laughs> I think he played a few yeah, live probably. gigs. Okay, I'll say the, the entry was 24 across, which was a new ager. Oh, then... Is it a former member of the band Clanad? Yes, it is. So it's Enya. Ah. That's interesting that she's the biggest selling singer. Yeah, she's done uh, huge, huge numbers. Ennyanomics, they call it. It's a whole new way of doing business <laughs> in, the, in the music industry. What, yeah. What, what, what does that mean? It means never playing live, but uh, getting loads of people to buy your CDs anyway. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> I think she refused to play live because she says that she has to layer her voice about a hundred times on a track. And so to play live would just, you know, you couldn't do it justice. Right. Which I, yeah. I respect. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, she could maybe, you know, build up some layers with a loop pedal, but it probably wouldn't quite be the same. Oh, like I don't know. If I saw any using a loop pedal, I think I'd be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, question three. And this uh, actually ties back, uh, I can't remember who we mentioned was Lithuanian earlier. Al Jolson, uh, I think. Al Jolson, 
possibly Lithuanian. But so this is for the uh, 21 across, which was sponsored. Uh, who sponsored the Lithuanian basketball team to go to the 1992 Olympic Games? Wow. <gasps> now, I've heard this fact before. Oh, oh have you? I can't, I can't remember the answer immediately. It was something like um, this person or these people got wind of the fact that the Lithuanians didn't have a proper kit or couldn't afford to travel. This is it. Yeah, um, they were they were cash poor and uh, word got out to this uh, group of oh, Americans. I've, I, do you know what? I, I think I've got it. And funnily enough, the answer didn't come into my brain, but an image of the kit came into my brain, which That's is how the I then got the answer. Because Can I you think, describe that image? I think they wore tie-dye kits, didn't they? Tie-dye kit with a sort of, uh, maybe not on the official uh, Olympics strip, but there was one they did that had a sort of skeleton dunking a basketball on it. <laughs> which is a second clue. And here's the third one. Out on the road today, I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. Mm. It's a lyric from The Boys of Summer. It was The Grateful Dead, right? Yeah, The Grateful Dead. Uh, a band I don't I don't really know uh, so well. Some of my friends are budding deadheads. But, uh... <laughs> so I guess that at least one of them must have been a basketball fan. Well, I guess, yeah. I think you take a group of a group of how many American men? <laughs> yeah, must be a basketball fan. But yeah, you know, I think they saw a piece in the newspaper about how Lithuania was uh, struggling to finance sending their team to uh, Barcelona. I think it was nineteen ninety two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, they had a bit of cash to throw around, so they cut them a huge check and uh, made them some trippy tie dye uniforms. Yeah, that's brilliant. I think it's, after all that, uh, about time that we uh, wrap up. So thanks once again for listening to this episode of Off Grid. Show notes, as always, will be at offgrid.tlmb.net. And if you want to contact us, you can find me as at Skirwingle on things like Twitter and Mastodon and probably other places. And I'm at the void TLMB on Ditto Those. Also on YouTube, where we'll be posting little excerpt clips from Off Grid. So follow that channel. Like, subscribe, tweet, hashtag Off Grid Pod, etc., etc. Leave us a review. General, what have you got to recommend for us this time around? Uh, I guess I'd like to plug there's someone on my crossword called Bees uh, who's made a few, uh, few cryptic crosswords on there. Mm-hmm. I think there's four up there, maybe a few more to come. Uh, I think they're pretty good. And um, if you're on Twitter and you like to watch uh, sort of animations of shapes flying around, uh, check out Bees and Bombs, B-E-E-S-A-N-D-B-O-M-B-S. Absolutely. And also get in touch if you're familiar with the soundbite toothbrush that uh, <laughs> plays a song to have make sure you uh, brush your teeth for the correct amount of time tell us it wasn't a dream <laughs> or if you want to reinvent such a thing <laughs> yeah actually i'd like to officially say that as my idea just in case <laughs> okay we'll put out a competition for people to design one for you and offer a prize <laughs> to the person who gets the... <laughs> and so the winner on, gets so a forth. free soundbite yeah <laughs> all right Top stuff, General, definitely. We will see you all next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye from me also. (laughs) 
Off Grid is a TLMB production. Thank you to Vulcan and the Guardian for our crossword this time around, and thank you as ever to the poptastic The Trudy for our theme tune. If you'd like to post about us on any part of the internet, please use the hashtag OffGridPod, give us a retweet, subscribe, like, give us a review, a rating, all of those things really help us. We really appreciate it when you give us a little bit of feedback in any way at all. Thank you for listening. That's the most important thing. Cheerio. Damn those interesting facts.